All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 17th day of September 2019. I do like to remind you that I'm the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, we're having a good time now with the uh, exploration companies, some of them breaking through in a very major way. A couple of our sponsors, for example, Great Bear Resources being the most notable one, has really broken out because of a very major discovery in the Red Lake District. But there are others as well. A lot of exciting news now. When we're in a bull market for precious metals, capital is available to go into the ground. Ge- uh, geologists put their theories into a test. They test those theories with the drill core. And sometimes when they're right, it can be very explosive. The profits can be very large, and it can be a lot of fun, not like the times when we're in long-term bear markets. So miningstocks.com, go there to sign up for my newsletter. Also, consi- uh, like to encourage you to consider Chen, Lick- Chen Lin's letter. Uh, go to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com for what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. And as always, we also like to mention MS Oliver, msa.com, olivermsa.com. The website of Michael Oliver, and you can learn a lot about how Michael's, uh, his methodology and why it works so well. I think if you go there, a lot of very interesting things there, and especially uh, a market that he thinks is in deep doo-doo, a lot of trouble ahead, and we'll perhaps talk to him about that in a moment. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel, and also encourage you to send along your comments to questions for Taylor at gmail.com, questions the number four Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors. Because of them, this show is economically viable. Our sponsors for today, Great Bear Resources, Radisson Mining Resources, Novo Resources, and Klondike Gold. I've titled today's show, 20-Year Race, Gold Up 487%, Buffett Up 386%. David McElvaney, Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver, my guests for this week. While most investors stay focused on the Dow, one market that listeners to this show watch carefully is engaged in a stealth bull market. It may come as a surprise even to our listeners to learn that gold has actually outperformed the most successful investment manager on the planet, at least over the past 20 years. From 1999 to 2019, as I just mentioned, gold has gained 487% versus 386% for the Berkshire Hathaway Fund. From all appearances after six years of treading water, gold has now broken out into a new gold bull market, and I think uh, chances are that gold will continue to outperform Berkshire Hathaway. 
What is gold's recent price explosion telling us with the respect to the current market conditions for conventional investments like those that Mr. Buffett has chosen while expressing his disdain for gold? So what is gold telling us about those those uh, conventional markets? In the second half of today's show, I want to ask David McIlvenny to opine on that issue as well as several others uh, and uh, ask him to talk about his team of advisors uh, at McIlvenny Wealth Management and what they are doing uh, in these market conditions, um, do they like gold? Uh, what are they buying? They're buying conventional stocks like Mr. Buffett, or what are uh, they doing at McIlvenny Wealth Management? Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me in the second segment to talk about the innovative ways that Noble Resources is seeking to produce gold from perhaps the most vast unconventional gold deposit in the world. Those are the massive conglomerate beds of Western Australia. Dr. Henning's theory about how gold was uh, laid down in the Witwatersrand deposit in South Africa, the largest gold deposit ever recorded in history. Well, he thinks he's found another one in Western Australia. The question is, and the the challenge is, how do you mine this very unconventional project? Well, Dr. Quentin Henning uh, will talk to us today about some of the technologies that are being used, new technologies to address the uh, the challenges of this very difficult, or I should say different, kind of, of uh, gold deposit. It is vast. It is massive. If they find out how to mine it profitably, it's going to be huge. And so Novo Resources um, really is remains one of my favorite exploration stocks. And uh, right now, they've, they've proven there's massive amounts of gold there. Uh, the challenge now is, can they get it out profitably? And I think there's some very good signs. Some, so a lot of progress has been made. Um, in and, and uh, Dr. Henning will talk to us about that in the second segment. Uh, well, in these tumultuous markets, it's always good to have a steady foundation to stand on, to not only calm one's nerves, but also to give confidence that uh, we are on the right side of the various markets of, that are most important to us. So, as always, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again to help calm our nerves and uh, give us confidence that we are on the right side of the markets. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to be, uh, always good to have you with me. Now, you know, when I asked you this morning what you would like to talk about, uh, you said something, uh, and I, I'm quoting your message back to me, you said, uh, quote, uh, panic about various markets' response or non-response to the oil event. Now, I take it by oil event, you mean the, probably the drone strikes on the Saudis' capacity to produce oil over the weekend, but could you elaborate on what your thoughts are about this sort of non-event? Well, the uh, the first thing that hit me about this was a well-known uh, market letter writer, Gartman, uh, who apparently has been long gold for some time. He said uh, in euros, why that's a different than being in dollars, because y- you make more money in the euros, but you, when you convert it back to dollars, you, you up- <laughs> offset the difference that you made in the euro. Anyway, uh, but he got out of half his position the other day because yeah. the gold market wasn't up sufficiently on the war news. Uh. And... <laughs> I can't, I can't claim to have a documented record of every war instance that has occurred since I've been watching gold, which is 1975 mm-hmm. onward as a professional mm-hmm. in the gold markets, uh, technically looking at it. Yeah. Uh, but I can, my accumulated wisdom about that is if you're a trader in gold, don't expect war news to drive gold. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if gold is in a bear trend, and I do remember a couple instances of this uh, back in the late 70s, it seems to me, where there was some kind of war event that occurred somewhere in the world, you know, with Russia or something else in uh, the Mideast, and gold spiked up, and it was in a bear trend, though. You could short the war news. Mm-hmm. 
okay? Hmm. Gold is not here as a war metal. Mm -hmm. Gold is a money unit. It is man's historical money unit. It is here competing with fiat currencies. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the issues that affect fiat currencies are things like uh, deficit spending, uh, liquidity provided by central banks, ongoing and ongoing negative rates. These are the kind of things that drive, ultimately drive gold, not war news. Now, to some extent, you say, well, war news could be inflationary. Well, it could be, because it's another government expenditure or whatever. But it's, it's hardly the driving force behind gold. Therefore, to say, I'm going to dump half my position because gold wasn't up 30 to 50 today. Instead, it was up 20 and closed up like 10. Uh, he said something's wrong. Well, uh, I, I beg to differ. I, I, I think that was a bad judgment call. I also hear from other people who are still skeptical on gold, though presumably prior to that bullish on it, uh, Elliott Wave folks are talking about, and they're even deviating from their own little religion, because they're quoting the commitment of traders reports. What that ah. has to do with Elliott Waves, I don't know, but apparently mm-hmm. they see a gr- gross imbalance there between the commercials and the speculators. Well, I also have some experience in that regard. When I was at, first at Hutton, I was at the metals desk where they handled uh, hedge accounts, uh, primarily in the copper industry, and I recall there was a major copper top a bull market in, in the in mid-70s, where copper was sur- exploding at the tail end, you know, like a lot of bull markets explode. And usually that's mm-hmm. because of somebody who's excessively short getting blown yeah. out of his position. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're narrowed in on one guy. Well, in fact, it was one guy, and it was a customer of ours at Hutton, who was a commercial in the copper business. Uh-huh. Okay? He was on the production side. He not only was short for hedging purposes, but he went overly short because he thought the price was excessively high. Well, they stuck it to him, and he mm-hmm. printed the last 20 cents of the upside in that copper bull market as his firm almost collapsed. So the mm-hmm. wisdom of commercials, perceived wisdom of commercials, is not always there. They're not always smarter than the speculators. That's mm-hmm. the first assumption. The second thing is a lot of the commercials in some of these markets, let's say in the gold market, are in fact not net short gold. They're hedged. Mm-hmm. So when you go in, if you're the CFTC and you count up all these folks in the commercial side who are, are short, quote-unquote, I don't think they actually went into their bank balance and corporate uh, balance sheet in terms of the hedging their hedging, hedging uh, participation, and that these short positions are actually offset by bullion positions that are underground about to come out or already above ground that they just mined. So mm-hmm. it's not the same as being short. Right. Uh, and anyway, so taking a contrary opinion view and panicking about gold, our view on gold has been this. Two and a half weeks ago we said, if you want to take a profit and you feel compelled at least now by reaching 1550 gold and getting over 18 on silver, there's some justification for a correction or congestion. And in fact, mm-hmm. we've had. We're getting uh, a congestion. Yeah, we got into congestion. It's a fumbling around uh, in the 1500, 1550 zone or high 1400s, but it's fumbling around. It's not dynamic downside. It's fumbling around wasting time. In fact, our metrics show that we're now seven weeks off of the oscillator high on gold, on a weekly oscillator, which is very aged. And we're trading at 1504, mm-hmm. we came on, on the radio, uh, on October gold, the front month, which is all of 20 bucks below the highest weekly close of the move. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, so. Okay, let I mean, what are you gonna, what, okay. Yeah, what are you going <laughs> to gain at 1550? What are you going to gain uh, going short well, I mean, or getting anybody out? Anybody who you know, shorted so. gold, you know, all those number of weeks ago, and it, it, they're fumbling around. There's no downside here. It's congestion. 
So our view is if you get through this week and you find gold is numb, right now it's up 10 bucks on the week. It closed 1493.80, I think, or 60 last week. Uh, and you find a numb week here where gold is steady. Assume that the bears have had their shot. They've tried mm-hmm. it repeatedly. They even had a, what, quote, a failure in the rally on the oil news. Actually, mm-hmm. I don't think it was, but, you know, you can yeah. interpret it that way. And they still can't get it going down. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Very good point. <laughs> Michael, let me, let me just ask you, because we're almost out of time here. Okay. Uh, I see some people in, in terms of price for gold. 1450 would be sort of a challenging area. Uh, from your uh, momentum areas, do you see that? If we uh, saw something like 1450, would that scare you? I can't see any long-term negative mm-hmm. structures on gold. Words, when we broke right. out in gold upside, there were positive momentum structures that were overcome. There were ceilings on the momentum charts that were blown out. When I look on the momentum charts now on anything long-term, there are no structures below to break. And normally mm-hmm. you can't break a trend unless there is something to break. So our view is any pullback will be a benign pullback or will be brief and then the upside will resume. And mm-hmm. we still think that the minimum upside for this particular surge likely to be seen before year-end is at least $1,700. And right. I think if we get through this week with a yawn, assume that's what it was, a yawn. Okay. All right. Well, um, I, I would like to very much ask you, you made some comparisons of the current equity market with that of 1929 and 1987 in your month, uh, your weekend three, MSA 360 report. Uh, we don't have time, but uh, that is the kind of thing that we'd love to talk to you about, and that's the kind of thing that people who subscribe to your letter will know about. Fascinating read, that's for sure. So, uh, folks, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. He, we talked to Michael mostly. He talks to us mostly about the precious metals markets, a few other things. But he covers a huge number of markets uh, from his very unique proprietary momentum structure analysis that uh, I've found to be as good as anything I've ever I've ever subscribed to. So thank you, Michael, again for being with us. And I, I will miss you next week because we're going to be pre-recording the show. I'll be in Portugal with my wife. But uh, the following week then, hopefully we'll have you back. And by then, who knows, gold could be a lot higher than it is now. So uh, thanks, thanks, again for be- thanks again for being with us. So, folks, we are going to go to break now, but don't go away because Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us to talk about the progress being made using new technologies to mine the very different kind of gold deposit in Western Australia. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Our Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have one of our favorite guests here on this show, uh, one of our favorite corporate guests for sure, Dr. Quentin Henning, Chairman and President of Novo Resources. Uh, Novo Resources uh, trades in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, I picked it up in my newsletter at around 80 cents back in 2013. It reached $7 in U.S. money in the summer of 2017, currently selling it at about $1.78. 178 million shares, giving it a market cap of around U.S. $318 million. Thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Absolutely, Jay. Well, um, I just uh, this is really an exciting story for sure, even though the share price is way down from its peak. Uh, the exploration activities that you have guided Novo through are focused on conglomerate beds about a meter or two thick, and they're characterized by very coarse gold. Hard to measure it, for sure, as you've pointed out in the past. But while these beds are only about a meter or so thick, can you talk about the scale of these conglomerate beds throughout Western Australia, the scale of these projects uh, that you are exploring? Yes, uh, very easily. So, look, these are these are very old deposits. They're about 2.7 billion years old. But in spite of that, uh, by and large, they're they're nearly flat lying. Okay, so they're uh, they're not folded. They're not folded up and broken up and stuff. These are fairly continuous sheet-like deposits. Uh, I can you know reference each of our projects and give people a sense of scale. So, at Beaton's Creek, for example, uh, the current resource underlays uh, something like maybe three and a half or four square kilometers, I believe at present. It's open, you know, it's, it's, we know it's open in, in all directions out into the basin. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it they're expansive. So at Caratha, uh, we have about eight kilometer strike. Uh, again, we've explored roughly half of that eight kilometers and we know it's continuous, uh, there, uh, at, Edgina, although we're exploring gravels that are derived from the conglomerates, these are modern gravels that have formed through erosion, uh, we see the conglomerates up in the hills, and, and the conglomerates, you know, they continue for many kilometers through that region. Uh, I would say they underlay tens of, you know, tens of not hundreds of square kilometers throughout uh, the Edgina area. Yeah, so very massive. Um, o- over this massive discovery you've made, you, you've, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, three three major projects that you're working on. And, and you've decided, though, however, right now, uh, to focus on Edgina. Uh, can you explain why you're, why you're focused on Edgina and maybe talk a little bit about the challenges that are unique to Edgina and how you are looking to overcome those, uh, those issues? Yes. Uh, Edgina, as I said, is derived from the conglomerate. So basically what's happened... Uh, Mother Nature over the past few million years has eroded back the same conglomerate uh, layer that we were chasing in Hard Rock, say at Caratha. But at Edgina, the, the conglomerate has been broken up. You know, Mother Nature remilled the rock. And in doing so, it freed up the gold nuggets. And those nuggets have been washed down into the, the gravels on the terrace uh, below, which, you know, is very expansive. It covers, you know, hundreds and hundreds of square kilometers. We have something like 2,000 square kilometers of target area. Um, what we're doing at Edgina, uh, because it is free dig, it's sitting basically right at surface. We see it as extremely low-hanging fruit. Uh, it it is a, a gravel horizon, roughly a meter thick. Uh, we've demonstrated that through the recent trenching we've done, the bulk sampling, and you know, now we have a very effective means of of targeting it. So it's something we can move very quickly. All right, uh, we see it as a project that can move forward perhaps even towards production. Very, very quickly, we have support from Sumitomo in doing so. Uh, but more importantly, the, the aspects of the project that 
it's itself or what drive this thing. Uh, you know, free dig, mm-hmm. uh, loose gold. It's mostly coarse. We see processing techniques that can be employed. Uh, for instance, yesterday we announced uh, some test work that we did on on the um, eddy current separators, which shows extreme promise. So you know, this this is a unique deposit, but we we see an ability to move it forward very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh- Quentin, on, on August 22nd, you put out a press release announcing the recovery of 281.9 grams of gold from uh, 292.38 cubic meters. So I know you have a lot more work to do. Uh, you talk about low-hanging fruit, which you just mentioned, and I know you have a lot more work to do before you can really officially uh, talk about economics. But if uh, there is continuity, and you're suggesting what I'm hearing you say, you believe there probably is, if there's continuity in those kind of grades over a large scale, do you, on the face of it, do you think this, this makes economic sense? Do you think this can make money? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's uh, why we're driving it so hard. So uh, the, the numbers you reference, uh, they're flipped around. It was 292.38 grams gold from 281.9. Okay, meters, slightly but, more. But it, it, that, that, no problem. Look, uh, it, you know, more to the point, the, the gravels that we tested – are at the edge of the mining lease. Uh, they're basically on the cusp of the terrace. You know, they, these gravels head down and, and become part of the broader terrace below. Um, if people think of this as, a, you know, the headwaters of a, a much, much larger system, you know, think with fingers on a hand and the, the fingers, the individual fingers all kind of coalesce down into the terrace. We, we suspect that the terrace, uh, areas in the terrace will be the real prize where, you know, there's a, a huge continuity. But but the grades we're seeing at Edgenar are absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, that to put it in perspective, alluvial deposits around the planet, you know, they might run 0.2, 0.3 grams, uh, many of them. Mm-hmm. And that's wildly economic for them. You know, here we are talking about, and that's per cubic meter. Uh, yeah. By the way, most alluvial deposits are measured in grams per cubic meter because, if you think about it, you're really uh, the, the the mining process is simply shoveling the material. Uh, mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if the, the you know gravel weighs 1.6 tons or 2.1 tons or whatever, but it, it's measured in cubic meters because you know the density of gravities uh, of gravels is variable mm-hmm. over sure. uh, a large area, so it's easier to do. Yeah. But uh, look, you know, seeing grades of a gram plus per mm-hmm. cubic meter that's un, unreal, and the coarse gold, I mean. Goodness, you know, to, it's easy to extract. It's it's very shallow. It will be easy to mine this. We conceptually we see mining it, processing it, and reclaiming it in a very uh, you know uh, straightforward fashion, uh, almost on a continual basis. Mm-hmm. It's, it should be wildly economic if if our uh, hopes and dreams pan out. Right. Well, you're, you're talking about uh, substantially higher grades, as you mentioned, uh, about a gram or so per cubic meter in an area that you think might not even be the the most. Uh, the the richest uh, and comparing to 0.2 or 0.3 grams per cubic meter uh, for these kinds of deposits. So the last time we talked, uh, you noted that there there are these other areas, as you say, the hand and the fingers and then looking down basin to the hand. Um, You you didn't have, you don't, at the last we spoke, you didn't have the permits yet to, to go to those areas that might be more highly prospective. Do you have a sense of when you might have those permits and when you might start Exploring those areas, sure. It's uh, it's partly permit, but also partly uh, negotiation with the the local okay. Aboriginal community. Sure. So at Edgina Mining Lease, where we're currently focused, we did get clearance, uh, and we announced that just a few days ago in a news release. Um, that allows us to go ahead and continue trenching. So we we have started trenching in earnest again. 
uh, east, further east from where we did the first trench. Uh, so there'll you know there'll be continuing news around that. But you know the greater terrace, that's the big price. All right, we know uh, looking around the terrace, and it's vast. You know the the Womarina project, which is 23 kilometers due east of us. Uh, was a historic alluvial mine similar to Edgina, very similar gold, very coarse grain in, in thin you know gravels like meter thick gravels at surface. We know that there are many such occurrences around the edge of the basin. There's probably at least uh, a couple dozen of these uh, sticking out. They all, in my view, like I said, coalesce. Uh, you know, they're they're basically the fingers, and then they'll coalesce into the hand down in the terrace. Um, very good, you know, geophysical evidence for that. We we have the ground penetrating radar and stuff to to identify these swales and channels and stuff. Um, you know, but uh, it's it's really uh, to, in, as far as timing for the access, we have to think of this as a holistic project. Okay, we want to get access to the entire area, so we're 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 building a relation with the Aboriginal community. Uh, I think having them come out and work with us for 10 days was an extraordinary opportunity to, to build some relations there. Um, we, we are aiming for a, a much more expansive agreement uh, with the community. I think there's ways that the two can work together. And, you know, that's our ultimate goal. Permitting is, is fairly, fairly straightforward for a project like this. Um, we, you know, we don't see any hangups there. It's more to do about, uh, you know, working with our, our friends here at, at uh, Carriera and, and making this project go. Mm-hmm. Quinton, you've, ever since I've learned to know you, you've been one of uh, the things outside of the box. In fact, your discovery of this area, uh, you know, was it occurred because you think outside the box. How was this? How was the Great Whitwaters ran uh, deposited, and it, it led you to the Western Australia, this this great basin where you're working. Um, but you've always been, you know, in, t- in terms of how to mine, this is a very unusual. These are very unusual deposits, as you pointed out numerous times on this show. Uh, you are using some, some new technologies, uh, some technological innovations to help you find and, and pinpoint where the deposits lie, uh, where the higher grade stuff might lie, and, and uh, you know, and how to actually mine this because it's so unusual. Can you talk just a little bit about some of the technological it, innovations? It is I think it's the most exciting aspect of this project. You know, the nature of the deposit is important, but the technologies that we're exploring right now to uh, use and utilize for not only for exploration but for you know mining and recovery of gold are, are really interesting. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the ground penetrating radar uh, gives us a visual handle on where the, the little depressions are. That you know, think of them as channels or small valleys where the gold seems to accumulate. That's great. You know, now we have a, a targeting tool. Uh, the, the next thing, you know, uh, mining of this thing. Look, we're looking into various scenarios of continuous miners. The gravels are loose, uh, so it's very easy to dig them up. You know, most alluvial operations use conventional shovels, and then they put it in a truck, haul it to a plant, wash it in the plant, and then they have to bring the dirt back and reclaim it. You know, it's a long process. But we actually see a scenario where we're mining and processing, you know, continually right at site, right at the spot where we're digging up the gravel. So... Uh, we're looking at continuous mining scenarios. We're looking at continuous reclamation scenarios, uh, including revegetation scenarios. Hmm. Uh, we're looking at uh, things like this eddy current separator and, and other dry techniques that we can use for processing. You know, we don't have to bring in a huge amount of water, have reservoirs available, you know, to process 
there's ways to do this very cheaply and very effectively, and it's all due to the nature of the deposit itself. It's fascinating. Really, a very interesting story to keep our keep our eyes on. What um, what what do investors really need to? I mean, how much more work, and when might we start to get a sense of what the economics of this project is? I understand you're trying to you know to look at the big picture and prepare and do this thing right, and we're thankful for that. But a lot of us are kind of impatient. We'd like to know, okay, Quentin, when can you deliver us some real, you know, some real profits here on this company? Okay, so let, let's look at the the way forward with Edna. It's it's not a conventional deposit, as I've discussed. It's it's really one that we're going to advance, you know, it, almost in, on several tracks at once. You've got exploration. You've got uh, all of these technologies that we're looking at, you know, in terms of mining and processing, we have to advance all of that at once. And that, that also includes, you know, working with the aboriginals and working with the government on, on how you go about permitting, uh, uh, you know, an expansive alluvial system like this. But, you know, look, what it boils down to is uh, it, it's simple, okay? It's not, it's not deep in the ground. It doesn't require a large open pit. This is something that you can actually test mine and move forward fairly quickly. So we envision taking this in stages. The first stage we're undertaking right now mainly focuses on exploration. You know, we're trying to define, figure out ways to define the actual deposit itself and quantify grade. I think our our recent trench and bulk sampling work was very effective at doing that. But then we can quickly move that. And when I say quickly, you know, within a year uh, to to trial mining and experimenting with these techniques as well as recoveries. And, you know, with, with luck, we could potentially bootstrap this within a couple of years straight into production, you know, at a commercial level. I mean, this is, this is as fast as it goes mining these days. A conventional gold mine from discovery to production might take 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is, in, 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 you know, comparison, this can go at light speed. Uh, you know, not to say that I can guarantee anything, yeah. uh, but... That's how we see it. Now, we are working on, you know, conceptual economic numbers. I cannot, you know, 43101 regulations are there for a reason. I can't just spout, you know, wild numbers. But, you know, think about it for a minute. Okay, we're talking about mining gravels that are basically right at surface. At surface, yeah. Uh, We're also talking about very cheap reclamation. We're not filling in a, a, you know, a 3,000 meter wide pit or something. We're, you know, we're <laughs> basically back, backfilling where we just dug, okay? Yeah. Uh, these are cheap processes. Uh, recovery, if we if we get a dry process scheme that's quick and cheap, that can be done on a continuing basis, uh, like this eddy current separator, say, mm-hmm. uh, that's also very cheap. Okay, so, you know, what are the numbers? I, I don't know, but I mean, yeah. you know, they could be, uh, you know, on the order of a, uh, you know, a few, few dollars, maybe $10, $20, Per cubic meter, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and that's Australian dollars. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's very exciting, and I, I think that that the, uh, the thing that should not be lost on people is the scale of this, Quentin. And you know, I mean, if it was just a small deposit, I couldn't get terribly excited about it. Um, you know, probably, but but if you have millions of ounces potentially, um, you know, it, it starts to become real and very very important to the markets. Yes. It, it does, and and bear this in mind: if we do have a system that's as expansive as this, we don't have to just start at one end and mine to the other. You can actually set up multiple operations over an area. Okay, it's right. not something you have to to pick at from one end. You know, a mm-hmm. hundred years later, pop up on the other. You could actually put mines in various locations, all in simultaneous operation. All right. It's just in summing up, then um, what. 
are the what are the drivers that investors should really be focused on and, and be on the lookout for? Yeah, the news from Edgina uh, will be about trenching bulk sampling over the next few months. Uh, but we're also going to have a lot of news around the innovative uh, technologies we're looking at. This Eddie kind of separated news that we've just released is part of that. Uh, we're also going to have uh, updates as far as you know advancement with heritage and so forth. We do look forward to working with the Aboriginals, and as I said, that's a key aspect of this project. I would say, uh, you know, look look for those stages. We're, we're going through the exploration stage now, kind of the initial investigation into uh, techniques. And then, you know, trial mining, things like that will, will come, you know, a few months later. It is a project we can move forward quickly, so I anticipate, a, you know, a steady uh, ability to provide a steady flow of updates around the project. Now, I don't want people to forget about Beaton's Creek. It's ready. It's mined. It's got a large resource, or it's mineable. Uh, it's got a large resource. It's, it's basically permitted, and, you know, we'll call it shovel-ready for lack of a better term, Okay. That is a project we're we're looking at very hard. How we advance it at the moment, uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, we're looking at, at taking Carrasa through the same same process we did with Beaton's Creek, you know, chest mining things like that. We have not forgotten about those. There's work that we're doing in the background. It's not quite as flashy as people might want to hear, but we're diligently working away as well as exploring. We've got two teams out in the field right now. Uh, they're investigating our 13,000 square kilometer uh, tenement package. And we're, we're trying to stir up even more discoveries. Yeah. Well, and so we could uh, any time possibly hear some news from Beaton's Creek, I suppose. That's another possibility. And uh, and as far as financing goes, Quentin, I understand that you're in pretty good shape now with, uh, with Sumitomo helping to finance the costs of, uh, of, of exploring and developing over at Edgina, right? Correct. We have about $41 million in the bank. But because Sumitomo is paying effectively all the bills at Edgina, it's helped cut our burn rate back. We've focused our, our burn rate mainly on exploration, and it's it's really going to help us uh, get to the finish line with these projects. It also provides technical uh, support for us because the team from Sumitomo is equally motivated. The visions are aligned, and they have very smart people uh, working in our midst. Very good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Quentin, for spending time with us again. Very exciting story, and uh, we'll certainly want to keep our listeners and my subscribers up to date on an ongoing basis. So I'm really grateful to you for spending time with us again. Sure thing, Jay. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because David McElvaney of McElvaney Wealth Management will be with us uh, to talk about the gold markets and other related issues. So don't go away. We'll be right back. has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. 
great bear resources. Trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Canada. Having recently made four major gold discoveries, GBR is now fully funded to drill 90,000 meters through to the year 2020 as part of a very active exploration program. Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining, a Red Lake veteran, is a significant shareholder following a recent $5.7 million investment. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have David McElvaney with me once again. And for those of you who may not be familiar with David, even though he has been on our show a number of times, there may be some of you who aren't familiar with him. Uh, he is the president of McElvaney Financial Companies, McElvaney Wealth Management, and ICA. It's a precious metals brokerage firm. And he has a very strong academic and professional background that we've uh, recited on this show before, and certainly his... Uh, uh, his resume is available uh, on the website, so you can become very familiar with him. Before I say hello to David, I would like to uh, tell all of you to make a note of the website that you should go to to avail yourselves a lot of, of, of a lot of the very valuable and, and practical market information and advice that's provided uh, at David's site. Uh, it's McElvaney.com, M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. Uh, go there, and you can connect with... Uh, ICA and uh, also I think the uh, uh, McElmany Wealth Management, which is also another service that's provided for, for people of means who are able to uh, and have a certain amount of money to invest. Welcome, uh, David. Thanks for joining me again. Jay, always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting is, me back. It is always a pleasure to have you, David. And I, I, you know, I titled today's show, 20-Year Race, Gold Up 487%. Beats Buffett up 386 percent, and that even to me a gold bug. I saw that uh, headline on on your radio show, actually, um, your McIlvany Weekly Commentary podcast. Um, and I mean that that was I just didn't realize um, over the last 20 years that is I suppose if you took from 1980 to 2000, it might not have been that favorable for gold. Uh, but anyway, what do you think this means? We've seen a breakout in gold now, a very distinctive breakout. I think there's no question that, in my mind anyway, that we're in a new bull market for gold. What do you think gold is trying to tell us? Is it sending us a message about maybe the condition of other markets? Jay, gold is always telling us something. So even that period of 1980 to the year 2000 when gold was underperforming, it was sending a clear message as well. And that was the age of financial assets. That was the age of U.S. dollar-based assets. And, you know, clearly gold was not necessary uh, to the same degree in that period of time of creative financial structuring. And, you know, what we see is gold tends to do very well when caution creeps into the market. 
and, and caution generally creeps into the market on a gradual basis, and then you you see sort of a stampede by the general public to come in uh, at a later stage when when their awareness is 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 really there. And right now we don't see the public back in the metals market yet. Gold's at fifteen hundred, we're fifty percent higher than we were December two thousand fifteen when we hit the low of of ten fifty. Um, but I would say the public is not yet in the market because we look at a number of indicators, including the gold-silver ratio. And sitting in the 80s, we have yet to break into what I would call bull market territory. And, and I mean oh. a full-blown, rip-roaring bull market where the general public is in with both fists and, and buying aggressively. Um, you, that trading range of a bull market in metals is typically between 40 and 65. Now, I'm certainly not complaining. I think 1,500 or thereabouts is a great level. But we've gotten here because you've got contrarian investors in Europe, you've got people in Asia, you've got central banks who have been aggressively buying, and it's been really a stealth bull market up to this point mm-hmm. because the equity markets have done so well over the last few years. Now, I believe they're in a topping process, and in that process, um, you've, you've got to make some decisions. And I think that's one of the reasons why wise investors are saying Look, we could have this extending topping process. We've been here for about 18 months. Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ looks like we could roll over. Hasn't sent us any definitive signals. Uh, but if it does, we want to have a little powder dry, something that's a financial asset, not directly tied into the financial system, a la the interest in gold by contrarian and sophisticated investors. I will say it's primarily an international demand trend at this point but mm-hmm. probably coming to the U.S. over the next 6 to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly, um, you know, when we have a risk-off day in the markets, the treasuries tend to go up a lot, and gold a lot of times benefits as well. I'm sure that the magnitude of money flows are going to treasuries, U.S. treasuries primarily, and not to gold. But um, do, you, do you see a time when that might change, when in fact the treasuries might not, there might not be so much confidence in the global markets to go into treasuries, or is that something that's just something that crazy gold bugs think about? You know, I, treasuries continue to be um, a, a liquidity purchase, and, and when you look at uh, the move into negative yielding paper in Europe, a part of that is a position for, number one, uh, a pool of liquidity. If you're buying German boons today with a negative yield, you're choosing it because it's a very liquid asset. You're also choosing it because... Um, you expect the ECB to be more active in the future and bring rates even lower. So you could continue to see moves into treasuries playing the uh, the anticipated monetary policy game and, and actually not play, playing for income, but playing for capital gains as, as bond yields come down even further and prices go up even further. Now, how far does that go? Uh, we really don't know what the tolerances are for the average investor. Um, we'll 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 have to we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, well, certainly David Stockman was on this show a couple of weeks ago and talked about the the ridiculous speculation that's going in the bond markets, going on in the bond markets around the world. Um, you know, and and it does seem I think I saw that something like ninety four percent of all investment grade bonds in the world that are positive yielding are uh, U.S. dollar-denominated investment-grade bonds. So it makes you wonder, as so much of Europe is in negative interest rate territory already, pension funds and the like have to find positive yield. They ha- they keep going wherever they can find it. So you think in a way that as long as the rest of the world, even no matter what the Fed does, if the rest of the world continues to print money, that there may be just uh, you know an inevitable move towards 
negative rates here in the U.S. Do you see that as a possibility, David? Well, fascinating listening to Trump uh, a week to 10 days ago talk about our Fed group as, as a bunch of boneheads because they haven't already taken us into negative territory. And I'm not sure that he's <laughs> cognizant of the impact. I mean, yes, he wants to see a strong uh, stock market so that he can get reelected. But I think that's about the extent of his analysis on the matter. What European banks are suffering from is a compression of net interest margins. They're suffering from prof- lack of profitability because uh, they can't you know, perform the same role that they have traditionally, the role of intermediation, taking in deposits and making loans. They're not able to do so very profitably living in a, a negative rate environment. And the academics really don't care. They think this is the way we're going to gin up economic activity, economic growth. And I, I just there, there's a failure to appreciate what the long-term consequences are of eviscerating um, banks and, and the whole intermediation process in terms of economic activity. And I think that's what is you know a next chapter, a future chapter for the U.S. if we head mm-hmm. that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to pass along an idea that Alistair McLeod shared with us on this show, and that is this: uh, I would imagine that the idea of um, uh, the idea of time preference, which is an Austrian school concept, I think it's just an, a sensible concept. I, a dollar today is worth more than it will be five years from now, forgetting inflation. It's just that there's an immediate value in holding dollars. And so to lend money out, you have to have an interest rate or you have some time preference, a personal time preference. This $1,000 to me is worth more today. And in order to give to lend it to you five years from now, I need 7 8% per year or whatever that number is. Uh, so that idea of a positive um, a time value of money, and he points out that if the U.S. dollar were to go into negative territory, uh, negative interest rate, let's say a nominal negative interest rates in the U.S., that in fact it would be different than, say, the euro or the yen or some other currency because all of the commodities in the world are priced in U.S. dollars. His view is that if the U.S. were to go into negative interest rates, that you would see people going to those commodities, which also have time preference. So we know that gold, for example, you can uh, lease gold for a one and a half to two percent a year. And his view is that one of the reasons that gold has really risen and triggered out to the levels it is already is because a lot of the bullion banks were in the gold carry trade. That is, they were borrowing gold, selling it, and buying treasuries as long as they could get good yields on treasuries. But with treasuries now below, at or below that gold uh, time preference rate or gold interest rate, that in fact, um, that, that, that in fact that's, that the bullion banks are having to unwind that trade and cover their, their gold shorts in, in effect. But anyway, his idea is that if the dollar, as the world's reserve currency, were to go negative, it would have a completely, uh, it could be a real destructive uh, factor with the dollar remaining as the world's reserve currency. And I would guess perhaps also in terms of the preference or the treasuries remaining as a, uh, a go-to safe haven, haven. But do you have any thoughts about that? Does that make any sense to you, Alistair's notion? Uh, that, or what do you think might happen if, uh, if the yeah. dollar interest rates went negative? 
a part of it does make sense. Um, I think for the average investor or consumer, um, they're not going to understand what time preference is or, or mm-hmm. even participate uh, in that way. Uh, you know, when you look at sort of the Keynesian notion of getting every dollar out of savings, out of mm-hmm. the rentier class's hands and into the economy churning through, um, I think what you really see with negative rates is a, is a shift from savings, that being a category which is legitimate today, it becomes it just becomes absurd. Nobody wants to save, nobody does save. So in practical terms, there's just a, an increased incentive to spend. And, and that is the, the, the desired effect of penalizing savings, is, is to get every dollar off the bench and onto the field doing some good work. And so I, I think the idea that very many people would be sensitive to time preference um, assumes too much of the average investor, unfortunately. Now, for mm-hmm. a sophisticated investor, maybe you get 5 to 10% of the investment community out there who would operate in those terms, but 90 to 95%, they're just going to say, well, it doesn't make sense to, to, to save anything. Um, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. In terms of negative rates impacting treasuries as a desirable um, source of, of, of uh, you know, safe haven purchases, whatever, mm-hmm. I think liquidity, liquidity, liquidity uh-huh. is always going to uh, have have treasuries in in every in everyone's mind as as a place to go even with negative rates mm-hmm. um, again because we all know what it is to buy an asset and sometimes selling an asset can be more difficult but at least with treasuries boons and your most liquid uh, paper you've got the ability to sell it when you need it to and there's a premium um, <laughs> even if it's a less negative rate still a premium for treasuries um, in, 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 that, in that event. So mm-hmm. I do think where you'll see the sophisticated investor go is to metals, and I do think that there's a real argument to be made for a very few number of investors. Of course, prices are made at the margins, so it doesn't mm-hmm. take that many investors tipping the scale for gold and silver to do very well in that environment. And you've mm-hmm. just taken away the negative reason why people would not buy gold. Well, I don't buy gold because it doesn't pay me anything. It just collects dust, not interest. Those kinds of arguments have already grown stale. And in a world of negative interest rates, real negative interest rates, now nominal negative interest rates, investors have no excuse. you you got to have an allocation to metals in case these monetary policy experiments get even more wacky or we begin to experience any of the embedded consequences of the ones that are already in motion or the ones yet to be announced. All right. Um, yeah, you, that, I think you're probably right that the more sophisticated investors will think about time preference and all that those theoretical ideas. But as you point out, if we start to go into negative interest rates and if the banks decide that they need to take some of our demand deposit, our checking account money away from us, uh, you know, because rates are negative and they've got to pay their bills or whatever rationale they use, the average person is going to start feeling that, David. And I think that you've put together something at ICA, put together something that I think you should talk about perhaps. And I learned about this on uh, Golden Rule. You have something called Golden Rule Radio, which people can, I, I guess that's a once a week um, podcast, is it? Yeah, let me give you kind of the the grand tour. Um, The Golden Rule Radio Podcast, we record Wednesdays late in the day and play Mm -hmm. every Thursday. Uh, The McIlvany Weekly Commentary plays every Wednesday. Um, And then, of course, Doug Nolan writes his Credit Bubble Bulletin, which gets posted on uh, Saturdays and Fridays, so almost every day of the week. Uh, We have our Hard Asset Insights 
uh, at our McIlvany Wealth Management website. And what the gentlemen were talking about on Golden Rule Radio, it's a great seven to eight minute segment each week that gives you kind of, you know, 10 pounds of mud packed into a five pound sack. If you want to know what's going on in the metals market, if you want to know um, kind of what some of the technical aspects look like within the metals market, um, they take a fairly dispassionate view. If they think the metals market is going to head lower uh, on a weekly, monthly basis, they'll, they'll say so. And so mm-hmm. I think it's a fairly even-handed approach to, to the metals market. Uh, one of the things in the, they mentioned most recently was our vaulted program. The vaulted yes. program is our alternative to banks and, and savings accounts, allowing you to denominate savings in ounces uh, with no minimum purchases and a very quick settlement time if you need to go back into the currency of your choice. Um, so we're, we're pretty proud of the, the vaulted program, vaulted.com is is where you can find information on it. Um, and I think in a world of negative interest rates, people just look and say, well, I've got to be in the system uh, because I've got bills to pay. But I don't want all of my money in a position to be extracted. And I think we're, we're all becoming targets, financial targets to some degree for a system that is overextended, overleveraged, and in need of our capital. And so if we can choose when, where, and how we engage the system and then opt out as often as we need to, to avoid uh, our, our, po- our pockets being picked, mm-hmm. whether it's by the commercial banks uh, at the behest of our monetary policy mandarins or directly through uh, what, what we know inflation to be, which is actually a tax. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the, these, are, these are things that I think prudent investors will say, yeah, look, I, gold's been more reliable than the U.S. dollar. It's been more reliable than the Italian lira. It's been more reliable than uh, the, the euro or the Japanese yen. And so why not denominate a part of your savings in ounces? And as long as the ease of use is there, I mean, you can set up an account at Vaulted in less than 60 seconds. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, so, but we provide that transparency. It's conflict-free gold in partnership with the Royal Canadian Mint. Very few in the industry care about conflict-free gold. And I think for a growing number of investors, as the audience grows, People who've never thought of owning gold, they certainly are aware of not only environmental concerns, uh, but also governance issues and social issues. And that's one of the reasons why it was imperative for us to partner with the Royal Canadian Mint, because they're the only provider there who will certify their gold as conflict-free. Hmm. What do you mean by conflict-free gold? So so imagine small children, uh, the age of mine, ages 5, 8, 10, uh, working underground in a mine uh, with a very low life expectancy and no probability of getting an education or going uh-huh. anywhere in life um, because child labor is, is, is not monitored. So go to the Congo and then start looking at the sources of gold throughout Africa that end up in the UAE and from the UAE direct to Switzerland. And all of a sudden you find this trail of very nasty uh-huh. backstories. Very nasty backstories. And if people knew the story of the gold that is in Zurich, (laughs) that came from the United Arab Emirates, that came from the Congo uh, and other places in Africa, I think you'd be horrified and probably not interested in owning it. Oh, that's very interesting. So a real moral attitude, a moral component to to that uh, choice of conflict-free gold. Uh, With just a couple of minutes left, it always goes so fast with you, David. Um, you, you're also your. I would just tell people that they they should really listen to your McIlvany weekly commentary. If, if people that care about the markets, most of the people who listen to this show are are quite concerned about markets. Uh, it's an excellent place for people to go. Just uh, one word on uh, with the time we have left. The McIlvany Wealth Management. You referred to it before. Uh, your father, really the founder uh, and chairman. Yourself, um, 
Doug Nolan, who's been on this show a number of times, and I've known Doug for a lot of years. And then you have a couple of other people, I think Robert Draper and Lila Murphy, Lila Murphy, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. What do you what do you have in your fund, uh, and and how much? Uh, I think you probably need a, a limited, a minimum amount of half a million dollars, or a quarter of a million, or something like that. You know, we're more interested in the quality of client than we are the size of the account. So we're we're always interested in getting to know folks before we look at our you know stated minimums, um, which are a couple hundred thousand dollars. But we've got an amazing team working in the hard asset and real asset space. So we're interested in infrastructure. We're interested in global natural resources. We're interested in global precious metals. Um, and and th- these are the kinds of things that provide not only some uh, protection from monetary policy mistakes, but also we get paid to wait because they have a strong income component. So mm-hmm. real assets and hard assets are not too far off from the way we've always been interested. But with that income component, getting paid to wait makes a lot of sense. And uh, frankly, a lot of our investors are now at a stage in life where, you know, 2%, 1%, a uh, half a percent or negative rates in the bank just won't cut it. Won't so, cut it. Yeah, so we've we've found a way of 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 pri- finding prized assets, very high quality assets, very high quality management teams, and looking to not only the quality of those resources, uh, but also the income stream that we can participate in. So as All we right, move David, towards well, negative rates, I think our management team is doing a fantastic job for that portion of someone's well, portfolio. We'll have to leave it go at that. I want to ask you and maybe do a whole show on on uh, on Macavany Wealth Management. David, thank you so much for being with us again. Uh, look to talk to you again sometime in the near future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. David Stockman, Alistair McLeod are my guests next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 